Thank you, Joe. I didn't want to correct Joe. It sounds so, <laughs> so cruel. I wanted to lift him up because he said, I'm Joe Beeson, I'm just a layman here. And so we talked about the fact we don't, thank you, Michelle, we don't want any of you to have the idea that you're just a layman here, especially because that's not what the Bible teaches. If you're a Christian, the Bible says the job of pastors is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. So we're all ministers here. We're all ministers in training. Doesn't mean you're going to be a pastor, men and women. If you're a Christian, you have spiritual gifts, and, and we gather to grow, to worship, to learn, and then we go out and do ministry in our community. So what I want you to say is, I'm a minister here, okay? If you're a believer. If you're not, you're being ministered to. But if you're a believer, ready? Okay, let's, I appreciate both of you doing that. I meant everybody. <laughs> let's try that again. Thank you. I'm a minister here. You are. You're a believer. You have the spirit in you. And God has divine appointments and work for each one of us to do. If you have your Bible this morning, please turn to John chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are, will be glad to give you an extra Bible. Please raise your hand. A couple things we want to pray about. Many of you know um, Steve and Deb Deveggi, their daughter Steph, went home to be with the Lord. It's very painful, 23 years old, but she did know Christ, and that's a great joy. We prayed for her last Sunday morning. Um, God's ways aren't our ways, and so we pray that the Lord will give them great comfort. They didn't lose her because someone's only lost if you don't know where they are, but she's a believer, so she went to be with the Lord. So we want to pray for their family, but also we want to pray for our country. We have an election coming up this week, and please, please, Christians, pray hard, believing, fervent prayers. God uses prayer. It's not like God hasn't decided who he's going to vote for. He, he uses prayer to accomplish his purposes. So as Christians, we should be crying out for our nation. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a disgrace to any people. I'm not going to tell you who I think you should vote for. I'm going to tell you to think about who do you think would do less damage to Christianity. Neither one of them are what we would consider a, a great candidate for our presidency, but Pray and vote your conscience. Do, do what you think the, the Lord wants you to do. But pray for our country. Pray for Christians. Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, pray for all who are in authority that Christians can lead a tranquil life. Pray that we're not persecuted. And then he said, in godliness and dignity. Pray for the church to be revived. But there's no reason why we should assume that God might not judge and even destroy America. He did it to Sodom and Gomorrah. Somebody said if he doesn't do something to us, he's going to have to apologize to them. So we need to plead with God like Adam did. Or Abraham did with God for Sodom and Gomorrah. Lord, if you find righteous people there, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake that many pagan godless countries that look at us consider us Christians, for his namesake, let's pray that he would revive America and be merciful. Join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, <coughs> thank you that you are an awesome, great God, but you love us. You love your children. You love your son, Jesus, and you love your glory because you deserve it. And Father, thank you that you are in the midst of working in this world to bring people to Christ. And so we want to stop and thank you that you've adopted us. And now as your children, we want to intercede for our country. We pray that you will not allow 
abortion to become an even greater plague in America, that you will stem the tide of wickedness that's in, in our political system as well as in the workplace, as well as the destruction of families, the, the promotion of gay rights and, and, and trying to, as the Bible says, call good evil and evil good. Heavenly Father, be merciful to Christians and help us to live godly, loving, Christ-centered, compassionate lives that are holy. Help us to take family serious, prayer serious, the word of God seriously. May we see you do a great work. Father, we pray for the election. You raise up and you put down. And Lord, we pray that you will just turn America back to Christ. We pray even for President Obama. You tell us to pray for our leaders, that he would come to know Jesus. If you could save Ayatollah, Lord, we, we praise you. We know that you could save anyone. You saved us. We give you glory. So we also pray for Steve and Deb and the family, that you'll comfort them in their enormous sufferings. May your grace be sufficient for them, and may many people come to the Lord through this. And now we pray that you'll bless your word and speak to our hearts from it. Point us to Jesus, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're in John chapter 5. We said the theme of this book is the abundant life that Christ offers. I came that you might have abundant life. And we saw in the first four chapters that Jesus was warmly received. This morning, we're going to begin in John 5. We left off in verse 15, so we're going to pick up in verse 16. And one of the things I want to start with is to say this. One of the best ways to learn how to share your faith and talk to others about Christ is to go with someone who, who, who does that. You learn by evangelism is caught as well as taught. And so my pastor, when I first became a Christian, he took me with him and I would listen to him talk to people about Christ. It's good to listen to others witness about Christ. It's even better to listen to Christ witness about Christ. And so this morning, we're actually gonna look at a passage where we see Jesus trying to bring people to himself. Now, I, I want you to, to think about this, that in learning how to share your faith, you don't necessarily have to memorize a formula. God loves you and has a plan for your life. Jesus died and rose again. You need to know what the gospel message is. But then there are certain things you may emphasize depending on the situation. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. He said to the woman at the well, I could give you living water. The gospel facts are this. There's a God who created us, and, and because of the sin of our original parents, Adam and Eve, we've all become condemned and corrupt. And that the penalty for sin is death in hell. God created hell as the condemnation, the just condemnation for all of us sinners. And that there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. There's no religious works, deeds, activities, penance. We cannot earn forgiveness. But God in his grace and mercy, the Bible says, sent Christ. The son of God came down, lived a sinless life, and they put Jesus up on that cross. And it was God's plan for him to suffer instead of us. He was our substitute, and when he hung on that cross and he was suffering, God was punishing him for our sins. And as he shed his blood, the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. But this is important. As he ended that six hours on the cross, he said, it's finished. Christ paid the full, final, and sufficient sacrifice for our sins, and that's where forgiveness comes from. Not from purgatory, not from, from earning grace, not from sacraments, through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Then they took him down and God raised him from the dead. He's seated in heaven and he said he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. And so once you understand that information, 
then you have an invitation. The invitation is you personally have to repent. You have to be willing to say, I know I'm a rebel. I know that I have not done it God's way. And I'm willing to turn from my sins and surrender to him. And then believe that Christ paid the penalty for your sins. And when you repent and believe, the Bible says that Jesus forgives us. He changes us. He puts the Holy Spirit inside of us. And then we become forgiven followers. So this morning, Jesus is going to be showing people why they need to come to him, as well as talking about the consequences. And depending on who he's talking to, sometimes he would say things like this. If you don't repent, you're going to perish. It's better to, to go into hell or better to go into heaven with your hand cut off than to go into hell where the, where the worm doesn't stop gnawing at you and where the fire is unquenchable. He spoke sternly about hell, but he also spoke beautifully about heaven and the comforts that he offered. He'd say, come to me who you are weary and I'll give you rest for your soul. He'd say, if any man's thirsty, let him come. So let's look at what Jesus had to say to these opponents of him who, were, who wanted to kill him. So begin with me in verse 16. It says, for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So the first thing we're going to see here is that Jesus is going to claim to be God. Now, that's going to, that's going to blow these Jews away. Like, you can't be God because you're down here on earth. God is up in heaven. He's our father. And Jesus goes, he's, he's your father. That's, no, he's my father, but I'm also God. And then he's going to describe this eternal father-son relationship and then he's going to say, and here's why I'm doing these miracles. So let, let's look. He says, they say, you're, you're bad. You're doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, here's something I learned in studying for this. At that time, the Jews were always thinking and carefully studying the Bible. And so one of the dilemmas they had was this. The Bible says on the seventh day, God rested. That's called the Sabbath, right? And then God gave the Ten Commandments. Rest on the Sabbath. Don't do any work. So the Jews were struggling with this. Does God rest on the Sabbath? And on the one hand, they're going, yeah, he must because he'd be breaking the, breaking the rules. But then they're like, wait, if God's resting, if he's taking a nap, if he takes Saturdays off, man, I wouldn't want to be around on Saturday because the universe is going to just implode, right? Because he's the one who holds everything together. So they came to the conclusion that God doesn't technically rest because he has to hold the universe together, but he doesn't work in this sense. He never goes outside the Sabbath or outside of the universe, so he doesn't go outside. He doesn't go outside the universe. And he never lifts anything above himself, so he's not breaking the Sabbath, but yeah, he's technically working. So they said to Jesus, you can't do this stuff on the Sabbath. Look what he says in verse 17. My father's working. And then he says, oh, and by the way, I myself am working. Did he just say that? What, what, what's he doing? Does he think he's equal with God or something? Read the next verse. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, this is one of the things that has, has been one of Satan's twisted, wicked weapons to draw people into hell. The Bible says people twist the scriptures to their own destruction. So way back in the 300s, there was a guy by the name of Arius 
who came to the conclusion that if Jesus is God's begotten son, and God's the father, and Jesus is the son, then Jesus can't be God. He can't be equal to the father. The father must have created him, and he must be subordinated to, to the father. So don't worship Jesus. He's not God. Now, the church fathers gathered around, and they, they, they threw him out of the church as a heretic. Meanwhile, in the early 1900s, this same cult has risen up. It's called the Jehovah's Witnesses. This is exactly what they're teaching. Jesus is a God, but he's not God. Don't honor and worship him. If you're studying with the Jehovah's Witnesses, I urge you, stop it. You will be led to hell. Study the scriptures. Search the scriptures. But don't let anyone tell you Jesus is not equal to God. Jesus is God. And if you refuse to confess that, then you're not a Christian. The Bible says you must confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Philippians 2 says he didn't regard equality with God, something he had to grasp, but he took on humanity. So Jesus claimed very strongly to be God, equal to the Father. However, there's this mysterious relationship he has as the Son of God. So theologians have called it his eternal begotten state. Somehow, just because he's God's Son... He's equal, but yet they share this father-son relationship. Now, here's how Jesus illustrates it. Back then, when you were deciding what you were going to be for your job, you didn't say, Dad, you know, I'm glad you were in air conditioning, but I want to, I want to be a pilot. You just did your dad's trade, and your dad showed you, and you took over your dad's trade. So your father would say, let me show you how to do this. Let me show you how to do this. And that's what Jesus did. He learned under his father. And it would be preposterous for a kid to say to his dad, hey, dad, let me show you how to do this stuff. No, I'll show you. So Jesus uses the analogy of his father-son relationship, even though they're equal, to describe this. And, and it's, it, this blew my mind because I never really thought a lot about it as I, as I studied this. So Jesus says in verse 19, truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself unless it's something he sees his father doing. So everything I'm doing, my, this is what I saw my dad do. For whatever the father does, these things the son does in like manner. Now, those of you who have learned stuff with your dad or done like a project with your dad, how'd that go, right? You're like, well, you know, my dad, he would say, not the wrench, you bonehead. I told you to bring the screwdriver. Or what are you doing? That's not how you painted it. So some of us didn't have a real good experience but some of you had a pretty calm, patient dad who was like, well, no, let me, let me show you. And you felt loved, right? So Jesus said something really intriguing about this. He says, verse 20, for the father loves the son, and he shows him all things, whatever he is doing. I mean, that's deep. They're both God, but somehow the father is, is showing Christ. And then he says this, and greater works than these will he show him that you may marvel. See, what did he just do? He turned water into wine. He healed the nobleman's son. He just raised up this lame man. And Jesus goes, you think that's a big deal? My father's showing me things, and this ain't nothing. But when he says that you might marvel, Donald Carson says this, Jesus is not a cheap illusionist who's looking for some vain applause from men. Like, want to see another one? Ooh, that was neat. He wants them to marvel so that they will stop in their tracks and say, hey, look what this guy's doing I better start following him. And then Jesus says, let me give you an illustration of something greater that God 
has shown me, and, he, and, and you remember when your dad showed you how to do something? He says, now you do it. So, so Jesus says, let me tell you what my father has shown me. He has shown me how to judge the world, and now he's given me that responsibility. He's entrusted all judgment to me. Now listen to me, please, even if you've zoned out. I want to save you from fear and worry. When you are about to die, I can tell you what's going to happen. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, then comes judgment. You will go immediately before the judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to wonder who's going to be there. It's not going to be Muhammad. It's not going to be Buddha. The Bible says Jesus Christ is going to judge all the living and the dead. So knowing that you're going to stand before Christ, Jesus is going to say, look, and I only have two verdicts. You're in or you're out. So let's keep reading. Jesus says in verse 21, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, in the Old Testament, God would use Elijah to resurrect people, even so, the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Notice he, Jesus picks who's going to be saved. We don't pick him, he picks us. The Bible says later in this book, you didn't choose me, I chose you. But then he says, the Jews are going, no, nah, the Father, Jehovah's the judge. And Jesus goes, no. Not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. In order that all may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. Now look at this phrase. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You can make the biggest deal in the world about God the Father. But if you dishonor the Son, you have dishonored his Father. That's why devout Jews who worship the true and living God, Jehovah, to renounce Christ is to dishonor God. Jehovah's Witness, dishonor God, because God has established that if you want to honor me, you will honor and worship my dear son. So that's why we make a big deal about Jesus. You can't overdo honoring Jesus, because when you're honoring and worshiping and centering on Christ, you're honoring and glorifying his Father. So we are all about Jesus here. So notice what Jesus says in verse 24. Truly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Now this is a remarkable verse. The greatest way to honor Jesus he says, is to hear his words and to believe him. Now remember, we said to believe in Christ is a willful decision. This is not just, yeah, I believe there was a guy named Jesus. This is a heart, sincere decision to say, I believe Jesus is the son of God and that I'm a sinner and I'm willing to leave my sin and trust and follow him and be forgiven by his grace. And when that happens, this glorious transaction takes place. Picture the cross as a timeline or, or, or as, as a chasm in which all people on this side are in the realm of death. You don't have to do anything to grow up in the realm of death. Just grow up, die, and go to hell. Jesus says, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he has passed from death into the realm of life. Now notice what it says. He doesn't say here, if you believe, you might get eternal life. You have it. Signed, sealed, and delivered. You have eternal life. Now, many of you have grown up in a religion where they tell you, you can't know. Maybe you'll go to purgatory. Don't be so presumptuous. 
And I'm going, the word of God says if you believe in Christ, you have eternal life. Over the last two weeks, I've talked to two precious people who said, I get it. I, I do believe. I do have Christ. And that's my prayer that God will awaken you and that you will say, yes, I do. I have passed out of death to life. And if, and if you know that, then, then when judgment comes, you don't have to be afraid any longer because you're forgiven. You have eternal life. So Jesus tells us what to expect in the future. Truly I say to you, an hour is coming, verse 25, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. You talk about power. All he has to do is call your name and you're coming out of the grave. Some preacher came up with one that was really interesting. He said, you know why Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth? Because what would have happened if he didn't say, Lazarus, come forth? The entire world would have come forth. And that's like, yeah, preach it, brother. Now, the problem with that is it kind of breaks down in this. The Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead was not the only guy named Lazarus, right? So if you follow that analogy, then when he said, Lazarus, come forth, like 80 guys come out. I'm Lazarus. I'm Lazarus. Everybody named Lazarus. So don't, don't overstep the boundaries here. Just get this, that Christ speaks a word. And he can make you alive spiritually. And when my sorry corpse is laying six feet under and pushing up daisies, when he speaks the word, I'm coming out of the grave unto everlasting life. Verse 26 is a little confusing. He says, just as the father has life in himself, even so he gave to the son to have life in himself. Now you're like, wait a minute. That makes Jesus sound inferior. Like he didn't have everything he needed. And so God's like, oh, by the way, Here's some life. I don't think that's what he meant. I think that what he meant is, Jesus, when you come down to earth, you are the son of God, but when you come down to earth as the son of man, which was the prophetic description that Daniel saw of this coming Messiah who would judge the earth, when you become the son of man, I'm going to impart to you the prerogative of having this eternal life, and you can distribute it as you wish. So he says, the father has given him to have life in himself, and he gave him authority to execute judgment. Look at verse 27. Because he is the son of man. Jesus, the son of God, takes on humanity, becomes a son of God and son of man, and he holds the keys to where you'll spend eternity. Now look at verse 28. Don't marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Now, this verse is important that you and I get a handle on it. He says, those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Now, if you're paying attention, you should be going, but, but pastor, that's not what you guys usually tell us. You tell us that the Bible says we go to heaven not by our good deeds, but by faith in Christ alone. Now you're telling me I have to do good deeds to go to heaven. No, 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 no. Don't let this scripture confuse you. Sometimes Jesus speaks about the root of our faith, and sometimes he speaks about the fruit of our faith. You are only ever always saved by God's undeserved grace. There's nothing you can do or I can do to earn salvation. By grace, we are saved through faith. Faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone. But faith alone will not remain alone. What will happen is this. If you have become a believer, your life will change. You will repent. 
You will begin to turn away from your sins. You will begin to start doing the things that are characterized by true believers. And if you don't, then you don't lose your salvation. You need to stop and ask, have I really believed? This weekend, I had the opportunity to interact with one of my wife's relatives who I've known since he was a little boy. And he and his, his wife have gone through many troubles. But last night, I had the wonderful opportunity of talking to him about Christ. And I said, do you remember when you were 12 years old? And he said, yeah. I said, do you remember when we were reading the Bible and you started crying and you said, I don't want to go to hell. And I said, you don't have to. You can, you can believe in Christ and you can be saved. He goes, yeah, I remember that. And I said to him, well, when are you going to get saved? Have you become saved? And he goes, Oh, yeah, yeah. And what I was hoping that he would say is, yeah, just recently. But he said, oh, yeah, back when I was 12 years old. And I can tell you, I know him well enough to go, well, if you were, that's a real shocker to me. And you're like, who do you think you are, Pastor Tom, judging people? I'm not judging anybody. But I can tell you this, if all you've got to show for your faith is you raise your hand at Aunt Betty's Backyard Bible Club, Jesus said in Matthew 7, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Some I will say to you, depart from me, you who practice wickedness. If you live a life of uninterrupted disobedience to Christ, if you could care less about the will of God, if sin doesn't trouble you, if you enjoy sinning and rather than endure sinning, you need to ask yourself, do I sound like one who has been characterized by the good deeds of a believer? Jesus said in Matthew 25, some people I will say to me, depart from me into everlasting fire. And they're going, why? He goes, because you didn't visit me when I was sick. You didn't care about the poor. You didn't minister. You didn't. And then others, why are we going in? And he's going, because you ministered and, and you shared and you gave. He's not letting them into heaven because of their good works. He's simply saying is, this is what believers look like. Believers turn from their sins and try to live for Christ. So my goal here is not to trouble a tender soul. Some of you may truly be a believer and you feel bad because you haven't been living right. That doesn't mean that you're not saved. But on the other hand, if you're one of those people who goes, oh yeah, I got my hell insurance. I said that prayer and you just do whatever you want. You could care less about what Christ thinks on anything then you go, wow, I better learn what it really means to believe with my heart. And if you want to talk about that, again, I don't want to trouble a tender believer, but I want to trouble a deceived, hard-hearted sinner who goes, oh, yeah, I said that prayer years ago. So if somebody says, this sounds like you go to heaven by doing good deeds. No, you don't go to heaven by doing good deeds. You do good deeds because you're going to heaven. By grace are we saved through faith, faith alone. But then Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, but we're created by God to do good works, which God, so we want to do right. We want to live for the Lord, but not because that's what gets us into heaven, but because we already are going to heaven. We're born again. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Now, the last thing Jesus is going to do is he's going to call some witnesses. You know, you're like, I did not do that. Yes, you did. I did not. Yes, I did. I have a witness. Jesus is going, I want you to come to me to be saved. And if you won't listen to me, I'm going to call witnesses. So let's look at his witnesses. Verse 30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Note this, he'll never get it wrong. Judges get it wrong, right? We've seen that. 
We've seen judges where we go, OJ, I'm not sure you got that one right. When it comes to who's going to go to heaven and who's going to go to hell, Jesus will get it right every time. His judgment is just. And he says, if you come and believe, you're going to be spared. And he says, here's why. Because I don't seek my will, I seek the will of God. And if I bear witness of myself, then my testimony is not true. But then he says, there's another one who bears witness of me. And he's going to talk about John the Baptist. He says, John bore witness to me. And the witness I received from man, I don't really need that. But I say this so that you might be saved. Now, notice how he described John's ministry. Remember, John was the bomb diggity of Jerusalem at the time. Everybody went out to see John, right? That'd be like somebody saying, Did you, what, you, you, what are you going to do about the election? Oh, I haven't heard about an election. Where you been, right? So, but notice what Jesus said. He goes, he was a lamp burning and shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Thousands, thousands were baptized by John. But how many of them were true believers? And the same thing's true in Bible preaching churches. Thousands of people raise their hands, go through some emotional decision, and then they're like, see you, wouldn't want to be you. And you meet them on the street 20 years later, you say, you going to church? No, nah, I don't go to church. I don't have to go to church. I worship God on the deer stand. And you go, well, wait, maybe you don't get it here. To become a Christ follower is to be a believer and to become a Christ follower. And so, as Jesus appeals to, to John, I want to encourage you, if you're a believer, continue to believe. It grieves me, it breaks my heart to think of people that I've baptized who now renounce the Christian faith. Pray that you won't just be a fair-weather friend. Pray that I won't be. Jesus said, many will receive the word with joy. But when trouble comes, immediately they fall away. They had no root. You're like, as long as my marriage is good, my kids are good, I got a good job and I got good health and I'm popular and I have lots of friends, me and Jesus are like this. But when trouble comes, are you going to turn away? Are you going to get bitter at God? You're going to say, I don't believe that stuff. I tried that, Jesus. He didn't work for me. Please, continue. The mark of a true believer is God began a good work in us, and he'll perform that work. Jesus said to Peter, I prayed for you that your faith won't fail. Thank God for that. So Jesus calls another witness. He says, the works that I do, the very works that I do bear witness that God sent me. Look at my miracles. Follow me because I'm raising dead people. I'm making blind people see. Anybody else doing that? And then he says, and don't forget, my father... Verse 37, he bore witness of me. Your word, his word isn't in you because you don't believe in me. And then he says in verse 39, search the scriptures because you think you have eternal life and they bear witness of me. I can't tell you how many people who will come in here and say, I learned more today than I did my whole life in church. And I say, yeah, because you went to a church like I did. Nobody had one of these. They're like, that was novel. What do you guys do? You read from the Bible? Who came up with that idea? And I can't tell you how many people I meet who say, gee, I read the Bible. I go, really? What was your favorite part? I don't know. What did you think of Jesus? Mm, not so much. Well, then you better read it again because the Bible is pointing us to Christ from page one to the last page of Genesis. It's all about Jesus. And it's all about his offer of eternal life if you repent and come to him. And, and I don't care whether you're a Methabapterian or an atheist. Forget what you were brainwashed with 
and search this book out, and you will find that if you want to have eternal life, Jesus said, no one comes to God but through me. And this book, if you read it and you don't see Jesus, and if I start preaching and you don't hear about Jesus, give me the boot, because you want somebody that will point you to Christ. And then Jesus closes with this, and I really, really like this, and I want to end with this thought. There are a lot of reasons why people don't believe in Christ. There's not just one reason. Some of you have been coming to church for a while. You hear the gospel. You're wrestling. Some of you don't want to come to Christ because you don't want to change. You like to do what you like to do. Jesus talked about this in John 3. He said, many won't come to me because they love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You You don't want to do it his way. You want to do it your way. But some of you... And maybe someone you know has not come to Christ because they're more preoccupied with what people think than what God thinks. The halls of hell have a lot of people there who are like, yeah, I think, but what would my my parents think? What would my spouse, what would my my friends think if I go, yeah, I'm, I'm born again? They might think I'm one of them Jesus nuts. Can I reorient your GPS today? Stop worrying about what people think. And start worrying about what Jesus thinks. I'd rather have all of you mad at me and Jesus pleased with me. And you have to make that decision. Paul said, if I was still trying to please everybody, I wouldn't serve Christ. The, way, the fear of man brings a snare. We do many stupid things. I still have this illness called people pleasing. And so do you. We all want people to like us. We all want their approval. And many times as Christians, we don't do what God wants. Because we're more worried about what somebody else thinks and what Jesus thinks. So Jesus says, listen, verse 44, how can you believe in me when you receive glory from one another? You don't seek the glory or the praise that's from the one and only God. Listen, the only person that it matters right now more than anything else is what does Jesus think about you this morning? Do they like my clothes? Do my friends like me? Does my spouse like me? Listen, don't worry about that. Jesus loves you. Jesus died on the cross for you. And Jesus says, come to me. Believe and follow me. I will forgive you. Will you do that today? Will you say, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm free. Thank God Almighty, I'm free. And you don't become pleasing to Christ by being a good person. The Bible says a broken and contrite heart he doesn't despise. You just fall down on your knees and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. But I love you. I believe in you. Would you forgive me? Would you accept me? Would you give me eternal life? And Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I won't cast them out. And once you come to him, I hate that I still am seeking the approval of men. Do you hate that about yourself? But God's in the process of changing us. So let's pray. You and I are ministers to go out for Christ this week, to honor him, to speak of him, to love him, to worship him. Go with Tori. Go to the Canaries. Go with Yana to Hungary. The harvest is plenteous. The labors are few. We'll broaden the stage if we have to commission people every week. But I can tell you this much, if you won't go next door to talk to your neighbor about Christ, flying on an airplane to Hungary is not going to get you ready. Right where you are, you and I have the opportunity to live for Jesus. And I trust and pray that we'll do that together. Amen?
And if you're not sure you have eternal life, precious lady came to me after service just weeping. If you're not sure, t- ask somebody. Don't walk out of here going, ah, well, that's just his opinion. Don't leave without coming to Christ this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Oh, God, thank you so much for the words of Jesus. We, we bless you, Jesus. We honor you. We fall down. We, we, we weep our tears on your feet, and, and we clean them with, with, with our hair. We pour ointment on you. We bless and adore you. We thank you that you died for us. We thank you that you rose for us. We thank you that you're the judge and that you have spoken a pardon for us and that we've passed from death to life. And Lord, free us from that foolishness of being consumed with what people think. May we live for an audience of one, you alone. Come hell or high water, help us to follow you by faith. Pour out your spirit upon our people. As we study John together, may many more be saved. For we know that you did not come into this world to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through you. May people be be hating their sin and flocking to Christ. And Lord, thank you that there's always room at the cross for one more. Lord, let it be our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, even our enemies. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. Let me invite you. We have a congregational meeting. It's very brief. We're just voting. If you will, if you're not a member, if you'll um, come again when you can't stay so long and the rest of us have to stay just briefly, we invite you, if you're a member and you haven't voted, to just stick around. Thank you very much. God bless you. Have a great day.